0: He comes across
1: in front of me every single time he ever takes. Why did you want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking for me in the braking
2: zone! Newgarden dominates, Hamilton wins by a ton. We ask why the British fans spoil all the fun. Next up on Motorsport 101. Woo! Teenagotteen!
1: Si, I've already gone and done it, mate. Thanks, I'm not you are the way! And
2: welcome back to Motorsport 101, episode number 48 here on SoundCloud and all the other usual audio formats where all good podcasts are available. I'm your friendly neighbour, Mr. Andre Harrison, and it's British Grand Prix weekend, and, you know, we're still kind of on the back of what was a crazy weekend of sports. Andy Murray won Wimbledon, Lewis Hamilton dominated the British Grand Prix and won, and Portugal brought everybody to submission in the football. Yay! <laughs> but, <laughs> but Ronaldo hype, yeah. Yeah, we're going to be talking about that. (sighs) Fuck that guy. Right. Uh, But uh, uh, moving on from football, let's introduce the other usual two panelists. First up in in the red corner, Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir.
1: Yeah, here to talk about our boy Newgarn dominating. Let's not talk about F1, please
2: unfortunately this is unavoidable for at least the first 45 minutes of this show god damn us all Um, because yeah we don't really want to talk about Britain but unfortunately it's got a lot of takeaways from it that we need to kind of discuss it's kind of shit like that but hey what can you do Uh, and in the other corner in the blue corner representing Dartford as ever Mr. Adam Johnson hello sir Uh,
0: some stuff happened didn't it Yeah. some some things happened like is New Garden just sat there like Guys, I've got one working arm. Can you, like, try harder now, Plus? And it's it's very, like, we have British Grand Prix weekend. We are here, well, me and Dre are here in Britain. So, here, yeah, home Grand Prix, great atmosphere. Yay, best place in the world. Except they were worse than WWE smart crowds. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. No, wait. Oh, wait,
2: dear. Wait, guys, guys, sorry, breaking news. Breaking news just in. Graham Rahal has just finished the Iowa Corn 300. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't you mean don't you mean, still be Connor Daly? Yeah, still still be Connor Daly across the line.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about the IndyCar Iowa Corn three hundred later on in the show, but we're also going to be talking about the British Grand Prix, and you know, there's a whole heap to take Because away from we are that.
0: masochists.
2: Yeah, we are masochists. We'll talk about Lewis Hamilton winning this 47th career Grand Prix win by dominating the British Grand Prix. We'll be talking about the safety car start, and yes, more fans complaining about said safety car start, and my ingenious solution that might just solve the problem. We'll talk about that, we'll talk about the turn one of poor judgement. Johnson, I want a really dramatic sound effect over my voice for that segment, by the way, that, that. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that has to happen like yeah. that. Okay? We'll okay. Talki- we'll be, okay we'll be talking more about I already have no time to edit this episode so thanks You're welcome. <laughs> um, um we'll talk more about max verstappen everybody's favorite driver now all of a sudden we'll be talking about the disdain of the british fandom and we'll be talking about rossberg getting retrospectively punished by that team radio rule we all thought would never come into play last season Mm. Um, we'll also talk about the Iowa Corn 300, Joseph Newgon's ridiculous performance in Iowa, as he led 282 out of 300 laps en route to a dominant 10-second victory over Willpower in second in his crazy finish to the race that was in- impressive. And we'll also talk about Tony Calam picking a fight with the tall American one and the context of how that may disrupt a certain first lady of Motorsport 101 and King's certain night out with said person. (laughs) More on that later. Wow. That's going to get people (laughs) gossiping. Yes, yes. Way to
0: make it sound completely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, King's just like, thanks, the shipping is about to begin now.
2: Yes, who knew King Laxton Texan?
0: Wait, (laughs) what? First off, what is it we had Jack the Jobber and Susie Kennedy being shipped on what culture, and now it's going to be King and Sarah Connors? <laughs> I'm, I'm so evil what oh can God. I say I uh, uh, <laughs> King
2: is just readying himself for the death threats on Twitter now I love you too King don't worry we'll also talk about Kibby Raikkonen's contract re-signing and the fact that it's pretty much killed any and all we'll talk regarding Silly Season we'll talk about the Top Gear series finale and Chris Evans quitting the show because unfortunately the inconvenient timing of last week's episode was meant that Top Gear had their season finale, and then one day later, Chris Evans quit the show, and we're only talking about it now, eight days later. Sorry about that. It happens, unfortunately. And we'll be talking about the brand-new series heading to this podcast very, very soon, the International Fantasy Draft. So so stick around to the end of the episode if you want to hear more about that. So that, and inevitably a whole lot more on Motorsport 101, and uh, let's start with the highly motivational, encouraging positive beacon of f1 hope that was the british grand prix <sighs> yay um yes surprise that's a, big, that's a big silence yeah deafening silence i think that just says it all really it was just such a mediocre <laughs> grand prix but lewis hamilton takes another victory his fourth of the season his fourth at silverstone becoming only the second man to win four times at silverstone alan prost holding that particular honor of five being the all-time record is 47 grand prix and only four away from adam pross now with 51 on the all-time wins list in in third place where that's concerned and uh king the race was effectively over by the time the, the safety car pulled in and two laps on it was like lewis Hamilton was not going to lose this grand prix by any stretch of the imagination was he
1: uh i don't know i i held out hope that the people <laughs> who pitted in early would have had a shot but that was you know effectively killed when the virtual safety car came out when mm. pascal Verline went off and mm-hmm. basically hamilton and the rest of the leaders effectively got a free pit stop
2: mm-hmm. yeah i mean we'll talk about that a little bit more in in, in, a, in a minute but uh, I, like I, I'm, I know a lot of the ham capers out there have, uh, have flooded my inbox to say "Dre, what did you make of hamilton's first lap and um off the radar because of the incident because I think this was off the radar a lot big mostly because of um, people pitting for intermediate tyres, and obviously the first lap of a wet restart is always going to be captivating. Hamilton had a three-second lead by the time he got through Luffield, which is just crazy um, that he was able to put that kind of gap on, and people have drawn the comparison to Donington 1993.
0: And Oh my Christ. Oh God. Uh, I- I'm sorry, Your Honor. Gavel-bashing time. I'm sorry. <laughs> Were you going to finish your sentence? Go, go, go on, Johnson. It's all yours. <sighs> uh this is like... I, I swear this is a recurring theme. Do we have to justify everything by his... The holy thou name of thine holy saviour, Prince Senna? <laughs> Literally, it's like, well, it's great. He did it. Senna did it. He did a thing like Senna. Therefore, he is God. Um, the comparisons are we just far away, really, are they? <sighs> That's, I mean, true. But, um... <clears throat> Can you, do you want? Do you want to just go back and watch the tape of Donington '93 again? It's been played enough times in highlight reels. You'd think I that, understand, right? but, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you might want to know—I mean, I know it's easy because Senna was had just holy shining light a beacon of holiness out of him all the time. But there were other cars on the track, yes. and he overtook cars. He yes. overtook a lot of cars in half a lap at Donington, which I argue is actually a harder track to overtake at than Silverstone in relatively modern F1 cars. So, um, ham capers, chill. He had a clear track in front of him, greasy conditions, but the safety car basically enabled him to back the field up and then sod off. He was in control of the restart, so he got most of that jump, I'd wager, within about two corners because
2: he went straight away. And Rosberg and Verstappen and everyone be behind fair, had to react to like that. Like, so, this is less ham capers and more Andrew Benson, who's like the lead ham caper at this point. Like, <laughs> so
0: BBC F1. Well, he's just disappointed. Fernando Alonso is not doing anything, so he switched over to Hamilton. People forget in
1: '93, Senna actually started fourth, but got block, but basically couldn't get around Schumacher to start and dropped to fifth. Yep. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. So he then ended up passing four cars in what three quarters of a lap at Donington, yeah. which is fairly impressive as i say i think donning's is actually narrower it's more hilly it's <clears> not <throat> flat like silverstone so yeah t- t- chill out i mean it was a good first lap but uh, like this is classic hamilton fan behavior i mean uh, benson obviously is respected f1 generally I-, I take the point but like you don't need to over egg the pudding this was a great hamilton performance chill we get it. We for- you don't need to justify. You do not need to justify his thine holy greatness upon Have us. We've forgotten
2: one thing. About- it's his world, and we are merely living within it. Yeah, we've we've all forgotten that Hamilton is basically ridiculous around Silverstone in the first place. Anyway, like we we've forgotten hmm. like two thousand and eight, where he like completely obliterated the field in the rain. Like this is his house to the point where I think only three people were on the same racing lap as Hamilton that day. Like. It was one of the great individual performances in F1 history. So I'm not surprised Hamilton did that at all. He's always been strong in the wet, and he's always been strong around Silverstone. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not impressive, but I will also say that people need to chill a little bit on this one and and accept the fact that Hamilton isn't the holy beacon of all things that, you know, that happened to Grace Formula 1. I, I get it. Like Hamilton, it's a home Grand Prix. People are going to be excited about him, but we need to chill on this shit. Um, anywho, we're talking about Hamilton restarts because the race started behind the safety car, and it was the second safety car start in three races, and obviously we had one at Monaco earlier this year, and we had another one here that I think was the first, I want to say, six laps are behind the safety car. Um, yeah. And of course, the fans all you know, completely shit on this and, you know, of course they have every right to and I I, I get it, I get the frustration I get why people would be upset by this but I think in the context of Silverstone given that it chucked down with rain like 10 minutes before the race was meant to start and there was a bunch of fresh water on the circuit I'm totally okay with a safety car start in this context, given the sudden nature of the downpour.
1: I mean, what do you you make of it, King? From a lot of circles, uh, it's pretty much in agreement that there should have been a safety car start. But it seems like where most fans are getting angry about this is that the safety car was out there for so long that by the time the safety car... It was. It it basically made the wet tires completely redundant. by By the time the safety car came in, there was no need for wet tires.
2: Yeah, there there was, and you know Sebastian Vettel made that point after the Grand Prix. Said, "Well, what's the point of the extreme wets if we only use them for a safety car start, and we're only restarting races when the track is fully when the track is is not fully wet and intermediate to the race tire of choice? Hence, why we saw half the field dart into the pits at the end of the first green flag lap." to pit for intermediate tyres. I was actually begging for Seb to to pit during the safety car, put himself at the back with Inters and see if he could try and pass some people. Um, Ah, but here's another point, though. King, you might be able to back me up on this.
0: Aren't you only allowed to run wet tyres under the safety car start? Ooh, uh,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Or can you only are are you only forced to start the race on wet tires under safety car, and then as soon as one lap goes by, you can pit in and change them? Yeah, or do you have to stay on those tires
1: for the duration of the safety car? If it's declared a wet start, you have to start on wet tires. You can't start on inters during a wet start. Okay, but my my question is, can
0: you say start on the wets, and then if the safety car's still out on lap two, can you pit in whilst the safety car's still out, and then put inters on? Ooh, I'm
1: not sure about that. You
0: Me can't. I'm because I'm sure someone would have... Like, at least someone at the back, someone like one of the Manners or the Renos or something, if I'm one of them, surely, if that's possible, I would have tried it. Yeah, like... A lot, what
1: have you got
2: to lose? I'm you stunned nobody tried it, and that might be the reason why. They might just not be allowed. I don't know. I'm thinking there must be a reason. Hang on. You would be...
1: You would in theory, be allowed, but you would, you know, give up all those positions, and you would have to be forced to start at the back. Yeah, I but,
0: mean, what I'm, what I'm thinking is, what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be like a team like a man or a Reno, someone who qualified
1: near the back anyway, it would, would make sense you for would have, them to try it. You would have to be a hundred percent certain that the race would not be started until it would be intermediate conditions. Like if some, so we've seen in, that
2: three times now, King. We've seen that in Monaco. We saw it at Japan in 2014, where by the time the safety car comes in the track is at intermediate level already which kind of defeats the entire purpose of the extreme wets at this point yes <laughs> it does that, so you know I'm surprised given that we've had three of these safety car restarts. safety car starts in Formula 1 now that no one has tried it unless there is a rule saying you can't switch in the middle of that initial period
1: I don't know But I don't I, know I, exactly. for for me like even if it was allowed I wouldn't do it because uh, behind a the, behind the safety car, you're allowed to race back to the, you know, back of the line, and I wouldn't put my driver out there in wet conditions on intermediate tires and tell him, go as fast as you can to catch the back of the field.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean... Is it worth the gamble? Maybe if you're at the back here already, or near the back already, maybe you can try. It. I mean, in, in the case of a Seb Fandom guy here, he was in eleventh when, when the race started, so I thought, hey, why not just go to the back and see what you see what you can do on the inters? You know, if you get it effectively, you, you, you get a free pits up, and if everybody changes to inters, you you be leading the race. So. Um, you know little things like that I'm surprised nobody tried it, but um, I have a, I have a, a like I have a, an ingenious solution to which I get to in a minute because, as King quite rightly alluded to, Pascal Verline beached his car I think on the second lap of the restart, and as a result, half the field who had pitted in early, um, for intermediate tyres, except for Sergio Perez who had who. As a result, because Sergio Perez is like literally the luckiest man on earth, got the free pit stop bonus and got up from like 10th to 4th as a result of the restart. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one thing
0: I was like, oh, the VSE is going to ruin the race now. Oh, Perez is in 4th. Suddenly, I'm cool with
2: it. <laughs> of course you are. Uh, but uh, <laughs> half the field had come in for intermediate tyres by the end of the first green flag lap. And as a result, their advantage had been wiped out because they could only drive at virtual safety car speeds because the virtual safety car came out for Pascal Wehrlein's accident and that effectively gave the leaders a free pit stop. And uh, and as a result, by the time we got to lap 15, there was 37 seconds covering the top 10 in the field. And King, it pretty much ruined the race before it had even gotten started.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Like, uh, any chance that any of the early pitters had about, you know, switching to intermediates earlier than everyone else was destroyed because the leaders got a free switch to intermediates because behind the virtual safety car, they could pit, they could effectively pit and lose next to no time. Hey King, uh, sorry to interrupt guys.
0: I've just, I've just posted the question on Twitter as we're taping this. A mm-hmm. uh, fan of the show, friend of the show, Danny Brennan's just oh, tweeting brilliant. back saying, no, they're not, they're not allowed to pit in until the safety car comes in. So that explains it.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so close which to is a line. bit frustrating. I, I would, I think had the, had the rule, Had that rule not been there, I'm pretty sure someone like at least one of the Manners, maybe the Renaults, someone would have gambled. There's always someone who's prepared to roll the dice. And normally, if someone's at the back there, then they're more prepared. Because as you say, what have they got to lose? They're down the back anyway.
2: Yeah, so thank you. Cheers, Brennan. Much appreciated, sir. Um, Big fan of the show, as as ever. Thanks, Danny. Much appreciated, sir. Um, So, I'm, I'm glad that... I mean, you're absolutely right. I thought, logically speaking, you'd have thought somebody would have tried it by now. But, um... Yeah, now we know why, because you literally can't try it. But I have a solution to this problem. I think I, this, is, this is my Prime Minister speech right here for Formula One, how to how to fix this problem. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of, I don't think King remembers this, but the MotoGP race at Assen a couple of years ago, which had a sudden downpour of about five minutes to go before before lights out. Now, Dorner had postponed the start, and here's what they did. Here, I'm, is, my idea is going to be something similar to this. They delayed the start for 10 minutes and what they did was they gave the field two extra formation laps so you could go out there on the track, explore the track and see what tyres you could go on. Um, Whether whether you judged it to be wet or dry, make the decision and then... Have the race start from the grid, but with the with the bikes on with their preferred choice of bike. So if you felt like the track was dry enough, you could start on the dry tires and not lose any time. If you felt like the wet bike was more appropriate, you could do that. It would it would and it you know obviously it w- the track was wet enough so that everybody was on the wet bike anyway, so it didn't really matter in that regard from a competitive standpoint. But it worked, and you know we still had a great race, and it was a flag to flag race that Mark Marquez would go on to win. Um, I propose something similar. You can have a safety car start, but the safety car start only lasts for two laps, and you have an open pit lane, so you can change tyres if you wish. The obvious sacrifice being that if you do that, you're giving up track position and starting from the back. The safety car comes in at the end of lap two, and it's a green flag pretty much no matter what, unless the conditions are like
1: monsoon quality. Like Canada
2: 20- in which case, wait, you don't wait, to start wait, the race. But, yeah. but
1: I'm pretty sure... We almost had this. We almost had this. Remember, they tried to make it a rule that we would have had safety car resi- We would have had, you know, uh, grid restarts for safety car yellows. When was this? remember oh last year yeah, it was one of, of bernie's
0: great yay let's make it f1 interesting by uh, it's it was in the same category as let's put sprinklers at the side of the fucking train, uh, you know, Like
1: no what what but was, it was it was like legitimately going to be a thing and basically at the last second because of fan outcry the 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 teams decided to veto it like at first i was completely against it but then i decided like it would be a good thing because you know Rolling restarts in F1 are basically so uneventful. No overtaking ever happens. It's not like yeah, I was gonna car. say. Think
2: not what, unless some, made it. Not unless someone really shits the bed. Does he? Do you ever get a restart? overtake
0: yeah i mean i mean like hamilton part of the reason as i said part of the reason he had such a god tier first lap is that he controlled the restart he backed everyone up sodded off rosberg was a good half a second nearly a second down on him within two corners Mm -hmm. because that's what the leader does in in uh it's not like nascar where you are double filed on the restart and they have to try and make rules to stop the leader getting screwed on the restart so yeah it's yeah i mean i think a a lot of the only problem i can see with that drake it's a very good idea i like it Uh, The only problem with that is I think a lot of people did have a bit of a beef with the fact the safety car start took away the standing start element. So I like the idea of the formation laps and the sighting laps. I kind of go back to uh, something that happened in V8 supercars back in 2007 at Oran Park. And it was one of the most eventful races I think I've seen in that division. Basically what happened, the rain arrived so late, they were on the first formation lap when the rain started coming down. uh, And literally they gave them an extra two formation laps. They were only going to do one to come back round to the grid. Mm -hmm gave them an extra two and they let drivers pit in uh some people had put wets on on the grid predicting the rain coming like five cars had put wets on on the initial grid everyone else obviously was on drives and they basically went right okay judge what tires you want except if you pit you're gonna have to start from the pit lane um And basically what happened is I think half the remaining guys were like, okay, let's try this. They went for the original standing start. Obviously the guys on wet tyres sodded off. The guys on slicks were like, nah, fuck this, we're coming in. And obviously the other half of the field pitted and took the the start from the pit lane. So basically I think what we're advocating here is that the safety car start is a little bit too mummying, you know, babying. Do you know what? It's a little bit too like... No, 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 no. We can't trust you. Know all wets, all wets. Behave yourself. Line up behind the safety car now. Don't did you? I mean, you, yes. They they do have, have a, like, a like, bit
1: of you know backing to say that they can't trust the drivers. <laughs> I completely agree with that notion. Like, like, like of course, this, yeah. No, no, this, I know.
2: i trust as far as you can throw them, quite frankly.
0: <laughs> but I mean, part of uh, I, I think what I'm saying as well is that you got to give the drivers something. They yeah. are at least smart. For the most, they're gonna they're gonna take risks to a degree. But I think. You've got to give them some sort of. A, I like the idea of the formation laps, and then you let them choose the tyres they start on. If they have to start from the pit lane because they've changed tyres, that's that's their risk. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah. I kind of like that idea. You and you also give them the sighting laps to kind of give them an idea. And then if the drivers are going shit, guys, we can't race on this. Then they're like, well, okay, what do we do now? Do we have to do the first few laps under safety car? I mean, the first hour of Le Mans this year was almost entirely under safety car because of monsoon conditions but i think those formation laps also give the drivers a sense of going well you know is this raceable on can we do this Mm -hmm. um like i mean ultimately if you tell drivers you are going racing they're going to go racing they're not going to say no because drivers never back out of anything but they are they are going to say look there's standing water there's things around here i think my big beefs with it were a it took away the standing start which i think took away a lot of the intrigue at the start of such a race especially in such conditions and b it cost us six racing laps. Yeah. I mean, nope. it didn't need to, surely. Um, I'm inclined to agree with that. Yeah. As, I say, as I say, the big problem was, I mean, the problem was it was a huge rain shower. Yeah, it looked brutal when David Coulthard and Mark Webber were getting their suit jackets soaked on the grid. But literally, as the time the safety car was rolling off to start the race, the sun was back out. And within four laps, the track was drying to the point that Inters were needed. It kind of felt really unnecessary. So in this case... A couple of formation laps, a couple of sighting laps, the drivers would have gone, oh, sun's back out. Looks like it's gonna dry up. We'll probably have to start on wets. Maybe some drivers go, nah, we're fancy inters. Okay, you can start from the pit lane and then go. I think that would have, we'd still had a sort of intriguing start to the race that way. I think it, too much was taken away with how yeah, the start played it's out. It's very
2: much like the Saxon Ring GP MotoGP a couple of years ago when Stefan Bradle was the hipster that basically started on on the wet bike when the track was was already drying out. And remember, you may have seen the picture of like two thirds of the field in the pit lane ready to go
1: yeah. on <laughs> their
2: dry bikes. So the wet guys had a head start and the dry guys had to chase them all down. And it ended up, it, it, it did eventually dissolve into the Marquez versus Pedro, of flight cuz the taxes rings all about that in Moto GP but that's what it was like brodal was the only one on a wet bike when the track was blatantly already dry enough so you know brodal got gobbled up because he was on a hybrid he was like oh he was on the steel brakes like he was on a wet bike But he had the dry tyres on, and he was apparently he was losing like twenty metres in braking space every corner. Um, So as a result, it completely ruined his race, and you know the gamble just didn't quite pay off in his case. But uh, yeah, that's that's that was my ingenious idea. Uh, I'll send it through to Parliament. Um, (laughs) I have to talk about Max Verstappen for a bit here, and do we? (laughs) Actually, I
0: think uh, no. For once, internet, we will please you because we think he is worthy of hype this time around. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, look, I, I take no pleasure from this, okay? But Actually, can I just say, before you, you get going on this, we were just talking about this before the start of the show. Sorry. It's what I do around here. Um, we were talking about this in the past few weeks. You had your sort of Ferrari meltdown of sort of, oh, God, it becomes harder and harder to support Ferrari. And I was like, mate, I support Force India. My expectations are on the floor. And I had a good weekend, I've got to say. Um oh, But we were talking about how, in a serious uh, point, um, we were talking about how... No team has ever has not, has really been able to capitalise on Ferrari's weaknesses this year. Is it fair to say that of all the people that have capitalised the most on Mercedes' vulnerabilities, it's not been Ferrari, certainly not been Williams, it's not been Daniel Ricciardo, it's been the 18-year-old Verstappen in his third Grand Prix in a Red Bull. He has been the one that every single time has been there to maximise Mercedes' mistakes. He's capitalized on them
2: every single time. It's it's annoying. Like I like <laughs> part of the hype makes me want to see this kid crash and burn, but at the same time, he is answering every single question that every critic is firing at him. He's as King quite rightly pointed out, he's scored 77 points since he joined Red Bull in Catalunya. And in those rounds, he's finished first and is at, is at a pair of second places. Well he's the only man who's not a Mercedes to win this season. And like Verstappen keeps answering these questions and King he was at it again with a spectacular pass before the hangar straight on Nico Rosberg during the race it was sensational
1: yes like oh god like I hate this phrase so much and I rarely ever (laughs) use it for anyone but Verstappen really proved that he's a future world champion (laughs) how much did that burn you King Oh, so much! I think like the last person I like called a future world champion was like back in two thousand eight, like Robert Kubica. Like that was the last person I called a future <laughs> world champion. It's been a long, long time. Sorry, Verstappen, you're done.
2: Uh, <laughs>
1: enjoy your career in rallying. King King has
2: cursed you now. King has cursed you to all in to all in degrees. But I mean, it was a spectacular pass from probably the pass of the season so far from Max Verstappen. Um, Rosberg was caught completely cold and that was the main highlight of the race it was the Verstappen versus Rosberg fight and I have to say props to the FIA on this one before I bashed them later on in the episode. They got the DRS absolutely spot on for this round. The DRS down the back of the hangar straight was just enough to bring a car into play, but it didn't guarantee a pass. You still had to work for it. And that's exactly what DRS should be in today's F1. And I think it was fantastic. So, you know, pat on the back to the FIA for that one. It basically
0: that. meant that DRS wasn't a gimme. Like, no, the, it wasn't. You didn't just blow past it down the straight. It just helps you set up for a deep braking manoeuvre into the end, into the next corner, which is excellent.
2: Indeed, and that's exactly what it should be. And to be fair, I think Max Verstappen was a bit of a naughty boy during this race, doing a lot of what I believe were double weaves, like Rosberg complained about. But again, no one listens to when a driver complains ever in Formula One because we all just think they're being whiny bitches. But Verstappen did double sw- did double weave quite a lot during that race he, he, and you know we saw in austria we saw i think it was kevin Magnussen get a five second time penalty for excessively weaving and pushing a guy off the track so king i have to ask once again where's the consistency here in, in this stewing like, like like
1: why does this keep happening bro <laughs> oh oh god like i would say it's mainly because there isn't, like, a permanent set of stewards for each race. It's not like, mm. uh, like in North America, where you have in IndyCar and NASCAR, they have the same set of people in race control for the entire season. In F1, it's different race to race, and that's kind of, it, it's it's kind of weird in today's world where, like, FOM uses the same set of cameramen for every race, and but when it comes to race, when it comes to race stewarding, and marshalling, it's a different set of people at each venue.
2: Not exactly ideal, and when you're running different stewards at every weekend, you're going to get inconsistencies. But hey, you know, it, it made for it made for a captivating second half of the race. So uh, hey, I'm not going to complain too much about that. But hey, uh, you know, steward inconsistency, <laughs> never going to happen. Not in a million years. Um, also, John, we have to mention this turn one of poor judgment how many guys just completely lost their car at Abbey this weekend into turn one and to be fair the dri- the drivers for the most part did a spectacular job of saving it a lot of the time they're not turning it into a complete disaster I think only Alonzo um, Alonzo and Verline had accidents on that corner that ended up being terminal but um, it was kind of crazy wasn't it Johnson?
0: Just a little bit, yeah, this was like uh, a little bit of d one Grand Prix exhibition turned up at f one <laughs> and uh, what caused it was um it, in essence quite uh, sort of a similar problem as to what completely crippled the uh, the Grand Prix of Louisiana last year in IndyCar where they had a uh, a track that was drawing out. But there was still it was most it was too dry to run any wet tires, mm-hmm. except there were still some pretty large wet patches elsewhere around the track that if you touched your car was completely going off into the wall. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't get more than one lap going because someone would crash. And literally here it was it was just lucky that the, the wet patch in general, it was just off to the left mm-hmm. of the racing line going into the right hand. And, and it would not dry out. <laughs> it just wouldn't dry out it was still there at the end of the race and if you just clipped your left rear on that as nearly everyone did you were going sideways and I tell you what I think literally I think Hamilton uh, even Hamilton nearly lost it there I mean seriously it was not immune to it and it was like, this is how you could tell this was Hamilton's race. They made the, the big fuss of, oh, Hamilton's made a mistake. Verstappen made the mistake exactly the same lap. Yeah. So it's literally like, oh, <laughs> even when Hamilton trips up, he's still... he's it's, It was his race from the start, yeah. let's be real. But, I mean, I think ultimately there was a lot of impressive driving down there. I think my boy Perez wins it, though. He was four-wheel drifting <laughs> yeah, all the race. way out, literally mashing the throttle, just staying out of the gravel trap. And for once, I think... We have to give some props to the asphalt runoff as well because I think had that not been there, we would have ended up with 15 cars in the kitty litter at turn one.
2: Yeah, the the asphalt runoff did did its job, and shout out to Sergio Perez for doing his best Marco Melandri impression from the parton <laughs> where he's got he's, he's literally four wheel drifting on the asphalt and still. Doesn't even touch the gravel. But Vettel had two spins there. Eichelten had two. Verstappen, I think, had two uh, excursions. Hamilton had one. Perez had one. Alonso had a big one, and that ended his race prematurely. Actually, no, he was able to save it, actually, my bad. Alonso was able to continue, my bad. I think the only one that was terminal was Pascal Wehrlein. I think, actually, no, Harry Anto had one as well. Harry Anto had one that put him out of the Grand Prix some manner.
1: Had two near-identical accidents that put both their cars out of the Grand Prix. Though, uh, though I have to admit, I saw some of the people in the purist camp saying that there should be more gravel. See, gravel isn't dangerous, and they're not even being punished to the people who run out on the asphalt. They're only losing two or a couple of seconds. <laughs>
0: Did they really want to have a Grand Prix with six cars left running by lap 30? Exactly. <laughs> that's what we'd have had here. I mean, seriously, in this case, I didn't have much of a problem with it. I think what was quite funny was seeing some people either try risking just cutting straight back onto the track as soon as possible over the little grass verge of the grass run or just keep going all the way around to about turn three before finally rejoining the track. I think that's, that's the line Raikkonen to. He was just like, I do not care. I am making my own racetrack now. I'm <laughs> off in Narnia. Oh, hey, I'm back now, finally. But you know. yeah, I don't know.
2: Yeah, one of those things. But um, you know, the purists will be annoyed. I look, look, I, I am not totally against the idea of supposedly in inverted commas punishing the drivers. We'll get to that later. But on the same hand, I don't think these measures should be trying to deliberately put cars out of the race, like the sausage curbs on the outside of turn eight at Austria a couple of weeks ago. That was some bullshit, um, so I, I'm somewhat on the fence regarding that, but we, we had to
1: mention turn one because that, that shit was ridiculous. Yeah, like Abby continually, Abby showing like why I love that corner, it's probably my favorite corner on the calendar to be honest.
2: It's a really nice corner, it is a really, like that's the one thing about the redone Silverstone I actually like.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree.
2: Um, everything else can- Bring back Bridge! <laughs> yeah, yes, we, we, we have to have Bridge back, I, I don't care how, <laughs> if this has to happen. Um, well, I think
0: there was there was some sort of layout. I remember playing this on Grid Autosport a little while back. There was some sort of layout where it was like... I think it was the layout maybe for the 2009 or 10 British Grand Prix where they hadn't finished the new new pit section, uh-huh. which is now the main start-finish straight, even though it looks the same as the old start-finish straight on the TV, which always looks confusing, <laughs> especially on the final lap. Uh-huh. Um, and they had some sort of... In that game, they had a sort of weird hybrid thing where basically instead of... You know where you turn right at Abbey... Yeah. You basically turn left, quite a tight little left chicane, and then right, and you rejoin the old circuit just as you go down the hill towards bridge. Yeah, that's, so that's the way the, like, it was that's, like a of the- Yeah, that's the way the layout went. Yeah, pretty much. I was like, I like that format. Why didn't we keep that one?
2: <laughs> got to get, got to get more five hundred pound ticket seats in there, Johnson. That, that's clearly what it, that's clearly <laughs> the idea. True. Um, speaking of fans and ticket prices, <sighs> look, man. <laughs> those guys that aren't British that listen to us, I'm sure you've probably worked out by now that me and Johnson are the British guys on this show. <laughs> King is the only American, and King is the disciplined, well-natured one for the next five minutes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this is where we abandon any pretenses of being like, oh, we're the
0: Brits who like America. We want to be American. Now nah, we're, we're proper Brits this time, because, yo, our people, we need to have a chat.
2: Yeah, like, like okay, I'm going to make this evidently clear... This is like a this is like a preview before this is like a two-day preview the next Brief episode comes out. And I'm gonna say this loud and I'm gonna say this proud. Stop booing the fucking drivers, you assholes! Stop it! It's really fucking stupid. Okay? I have had it with this. I have absolutely had it to my wit's end with this. Now, a lot of this is down to my own bitterness because As you well know, I'm a Sebastian Vettel fan, and I had to deal with half a season of this. Now, we all remember Multi-21, right? And we all know that, like, I still found it amazingly hypocritical that fans booed Sebastian Vettel, not only because he kept winning, which is just horseshit in its own right, and just so disrespectful, but also because, like, in Formula 1, we supposedly hate team orders, right? We supposedly hate team orders of a bone in passion, and we want to see the drivers race. So let me get this straight here the guy that broke team orders gets booed because you've got to respect the, the decision, right? Is, 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 that's the logic we had here. And it was awful. And Vettel got booed for like 10 straight rounds all the way through to Singapore that year where like basically everybody had enough of it. Like, like I think it was like Ross. Was that the one where Martin Brundle was like, "Oi, pack it in. Yeah. Brundle, Brundle did the podium interview that day and Brundle said, you know, he said, no, no, that's not right. And it, it stopped because like, all the like the big prominent figures in F1 said it was nonsense. He said it. Nico Rosberg said it. You know Lewis Hamilton think, said didn't it. Hamilton say it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they all said the boom was ridiculous. He's done nothing wrong. He's doing his job properly, and it's up to us to beat him. So like when when Lewis Hamilton is the voice of reason, then you know this is getting ridiculous, quite frankly. So that was a thing, and I thought we were through this for the most part. We had it at Belgium 2014 when Rosberg hit Hamilton, which I thought that was nonsense because it was just a racing incident, in my opinion. We had it two weeks ago in in Austria when, and I think, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to bury the fans on this one so much because there is many stories going around that the the trackside commentator tried to blame Hamilton for the incident, which was, again, was complete horseshit. And I still have, I mean... It may have proved that some of their fans there were sheep by listening to the trackside commentator and just saying, Oh, boo! Because, you know, his word is, 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 you know, most important when I'm sure the big screens could show a replay. And if he showed the replay, it was more than obvious. Hamilton was in no way to blame for that accident. And we got it again. Like, Rosberg was booed not only during the podium where he collected his second place trophy, but also... Even as early as the Thursday where he's coming out to the fans to sign autographs, going on the F1 show, going on TV, you know, spending time with the fans and whatnot. And I I, I can't I, I can't get my head around this like I get it. You're spending your hard earned money to go to this Grand Prix. I get that. But to me. And you know you have your right to do this. You spend your money to a degree. You have a right to do this. But I'm sorry. This is me as a human being with some respect. If you're going out of your way to spend your money to drive down on a Thursday to a Grand Prix venue to to throw shade and to boo at any driver, this is not just a Hamilton thing. That any driver, I think you're a complete prick. I, I just do. I can't. I can't get around this. I can't. I. I, I can't. I can't. I can't give people a pass for this. I think it's bullshit that this is a thing, and it makes our sport look so petty and childish that this is a thing still. Like, these are grown men and women <laughs> that are adults <laughs> that are deliberately booing the driver for literally no reason. <laughs> it's, it's, it's. King, make like, make me take a breath here, please, because I, I just I, I can't take.
0: Well, can I chime in first as the oh, other Brit here? Go on. Thank you. Um. Like, to me, this feels like uh, an attempt to almost like for the British fans to treat this like football. Newsflash, it it isn't. In the same way that people complaining or telling people to suck it up, you lost after the Brexit vote result, need to realise that politics isn't fucking football either. Motorsport isn't fucking football. This is not a case of... You know, this is literally—it's almost a case of pantomime, but there was almost
2: a a nasty edge to it as well. Do you know what I mean? Like a proper like fuck you element. This is carried over from a race that was a week ago. This isn't panto. These are people that have gone out of their way to do this on purpose. Yeah, came on Thursday to boo him. (laughs) Thursday.
0: When he's out there signing autographs for the fans, if I was him, I'd just be like, "Well, oh, sod you, then. I'm going back in, for, going back to my trailer. It's warm in there." But you know what? The have to say, out here for you, motherfuckers. You know,
2: know what the problem is, though? If he did that, he's, he's going to get booed even more. He's going to be stuck. Oh, I, I
0: was just waiting for him on the podium. As soon as he was getting showered in booze, I'd have loved him just to pull a willpower double bird and storm off. <laughs> I'd just to be like, "Fuck you, I don't care." I'm turning here play the like, heel. proper like Yeah, I, just go for I it. Like, it after I Austria. Play the heel. Like, I mean, it. The,
2: the,
0: proper, the like, problem is probably that... like Brett Hart style, just shoot on the crowd. Like, you never supported me, you never back me. Have your homeboy. I don't care. The problem is that Nico
1: and, Rosberg would have is... been probably entitled. On, the problem okay. is that Nico Rosberg's, like, far too nice and open to the fans and so loving of the fans yeah, to the play the, like, the heel. How can you boo <laughs> him? He's lovely. He's so well, nice. Well, like, one well, of these genuine gentlemen and real
2: nice guys of form. I've never heard a bad story against Nico Rosberg as a human being ever the fact that i remember, I remember that during the test earlier this year after being interviewed by craig slater for sky sports f1 he was driving around the paddock to find a fan he was going to come back to after committing to an interview the man is a proper professional and a true gentleman there is what he's one of the least deserving drivers in this field to get booed at all i think it's a i think it's complete horseshit I don't know what I, I think say. it's
0: literally just a case of uh, i think it's literally a case of um hey he dis- he did bad things to british driver he German boo yeah. yeah he take away and it's it's just that sort of tribal instinct I think what's worse though, what's absolutely worse is that we rightly condemned uh the booing at um austria for lewis hamilton mm. because i don't think he deserved that either yeah. I, I this is not a case of
2: did, oh did, well hamilton did, did, did deserves this is not bias like people like uh, <laughs> no no no. i want to make this very clear for a second here johnson i had a fair few people tweet me yesterday saying oh well aren't you guys condoning the
1: hamilton booze from last week no <laughs> fuck no, no. you, did you, you know, then? <laughs> yeah, you, you can listen back on the podcast or see any of our tweets we condemn that too no, no. I, I'm the same I, person I, who I, still I doesn't believe why it, people. I told all the fans being Hampton
2: that weekend to go fuck themselves. I, I, I had no problem admitting that, and I got to say a big shout out to Sarah Connors the first lady of motorsport. One as I had to call her now for basically calling this a week ago when she said all these people that are, that are you know, a. You know, are condoning these Hamilton boos are going to boo Rosberg next week, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I'm sorry, any
0: British fans, you can't get on your high horse about people booing your boy Hamilton when you do exactly the same to his teammate next week. It's, it's still his teammate, for God's sake. Like, seriously, this is a guy who, if let, let's be real here, if Mercedes had a genuine threat and it was Hamilton versus, say, Vettel or Massa or something for the championship. I have a feeling Rosberg would probably end up playing the good teammate, don't you? If he was in no chance for the championship, he'd still be a good teammate here. As we said, this guy's a decent bloke. Like, and ultimately, what has he done wrong except try to win races and championships? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) it's like, this is almost as bad as back in 2005 when Jeff Gordon had cans of beer thrown at him at Talladega just (laughs) by daring to beat Dale Earnhardt Jr., their boy in Alabama. He was just like, oh, it's nice.
2: Yeah, it's, it's nonsense. Not, like I said, it's double standards. Like, we've seen people pull desperate lunges in Formula One before. It happens in MotoGP almost every other round, for God's sake. Like, this is you can't beat that narrative drum of the driver doing everything it takes to win, then condemn the guy that does it. I think that's nonsense. In the same way that I said it back in twenty thirteen, you can't condemn team orders and then boo the guy who breaks them. You you can't have this both ways. So Honestly, I was appalled by the British fans, and you know, if you're one of those guys that were out here, even when Hamilton was trying to quell that the
0: dissent as well, he actually tried. He said, "Oh, these fans are really great. There's no need to do this." Literally, they responded with
2: even louder (laughs) boos. I'm just like, "Oh, fuck off!" Really? I said it on Twitter. Hamilton would be ashamed by your booing. He he gets it. He has yeah, you're the- not carping
0: to Hamilton here, you're like, Oh yeah, we love you, Hamilton. Look how much we love you by booing the shit out of your teammate. Yeah. You just
1: sit there go, Oh, you jerks, really. But it, it always it's- seems like the British Grand Prix has always been the Madhouse Grand Prix, whether it be the, you know, the crowd storming the track after Mansell's win or or, you know, I do wonder if it's the sort of football fan mentality.
0: I don't know if that's the sort of thing. Like, the I'm British not
2: saying work, it's like... The, the, the nature of British working class people and maybe a bit of German xenophobia thrown in for good measure, maybe. A tiny bit, yeah.
0: I, I, like, I'm not saying... I'm not throwing the shade at football fans. I mean, hell, I am one. But, course, you know, you like are. a little bit of that incredible... Yeah, of course. Uh, um, but that's sort of... You know how it is, how naturally in football it becomes very tribal. You know, you go after your club, you go after your team. Do you know what I, you 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 back your team... To the hilt, almost blindingly so at times. So I do wonder if there's. I would.
1: Yeah, sorry. I would
2: say yeah, so this is normally the Hamilton thing, but it isn't because Vettel got booed there two years, three years ago in 2013 when his car conked out on the, on the home straight when he had the gearbox failure. He was sarcastically. Yeah, and I'm sorry. That's the lowest of the low. You should never wish harm or ill on a,
0: a guy. It was a bit like the guys celebrating when Cristiano Ronaldo got injured in the Euro 2016 final. I'm like, God seriously, that fuck shit. off.
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, how? Like, if you're a football fan, how could you not want Ronaldo to perform ninety minutes to his best in that <laughs> final? That's, that's what that's what we kind of here, here for here. Yeah. We want to see the best players in Europe play a good game of football. So, like, I don't see how taking Ronaldo off the field makes the situation any better. So, British fans, like we're meant to be the biggest core of hardcore F1 fans on the planet. We need to do better. We need to do better than this. We need to set an example, not further embarrass ourselves after the debacle that was the Austria podium last week. We need to do better than this. If you're, one, if, if you're a fan listening to this show, and you boo one of the drivers, I want you to take a good hard look at the mirror and ask yourself this. Would your favourite driver, the guy that you hail a hero, would he be happy with you booing another driver? Would he endorse your behaviour? Because if, if you honestly think the answer to that question is yes, then I don't think this sport is for you. And I, I'd rather you not watch because I think you, people like you are a stain and I think you make the sport worse. And I, I, I take pride in being a Formula 1 fan and I get embarrassed when I see large groups of fans pick on any driver and boo them to the hilt. I think it's disgraceful. So speaking of disgraceful and moving on to this. <laughs> King, the the floor is effectively yours here in a minute because we found out that Nico Rosberg after the race, about three hours after the race was actually very, was a very late deliberation from the stewards on this, but it turns out Nico Rosberg had a gearbox issue in the last ten or so laps of the race, and it seemed his seventh gear was not working. For the first time in Formula 1 history, the new radio rule had come into effect because Mercedes violated that rule to tell Rosberg to put the engine in a particular setting and to avoid 7th gear. Um, This was seen as an infringement on said rules and Rosberg was punished with a 10 second time penalty demoting him from 2nd to 3rd behind Max Verstappen costing Rosberg 3 points and... We've been waiting. I, 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 be personally, I've been waiting for this rule to come into trial for quite some time, and it has. And this was the outcome. And King, I think this. I think this rule is complete horseshit. I mean, t- t- tell me what you make of this. And again, the floor is yours. Say whatever the
1: hell you want. Shut up, Johnson, for two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, firstly, I gotta say I completely agree with you. This rule's horseshit. And oh God, like this is another case of the fia being able to be swayed by public opinion because mm. this, this rule only exists because the fans complained that they you know were tired about hearing radio conversation calls
2: canada 2015 yeah.
1: canada 2015 was the, was the game change because
2: if anybody remember that grand prix last year sorry to cut your king but that was the grand prix where people complained massively about tire management being so predominant in formula one without realizing that management for cars has been a part of F1 for 30 plus years but you know nobody likes to know how the sausage is made so to speak in this case so as a result I think a few rounds later at Singapore they announced this new rule of you know you can't coach the drivers anymore unless it's a safety issue and you know, this is the first infringement. But yeah, carry on, King. Just yeah, a bit like, of context in there.
1: <sighs> well, you know, fans keep saying, oh, FIA and Bernie don't care about us. They don't listen to us. Like, that's a complete lie. They do. Like, they if, do. You can play, if you complain about something enough, they'll, you know, change rules or ignore the rules. Like, what, mm-hmm. the the 76 Grand Prix at Brands Hats where, you know, the FIA completely uh, ignored the red flag rules and let let the crew of James Hunt work on his car to get him back in the race because they were afraid the British fans would continue rioting and if they, you know, not let him re-enter the race. And this is the same case. They were, you know... The fans complaining were so loud that they couldn't ignore it. They had to do something. And this was the simplest band-aid instead of doing anything significant to change how the sports actually run if if they don't talk about it then the fans don't know what's happening so they decided to go down that path and we ended up with this rule that they hoped would never be used and it unfortunately came up
2: yeah uh, and and th- the biggest issue i have with this like i i hated this rule from the start and i, I hated the rule and i said it because Like, this feels like a placebo effect. A a, a placebo rule brought in to make us masochistic F1 fans feel better about the product we're watching. And, you know, because, you know, as, as Johnson very eloquently said last week... For all the talk about the tech in in F1, we always will care most about the squishy bit behind the wheel, and we don't like seeing drivers have an easy time. There's been a narrative in Formula One for years for seeing drivers pushed to their maximum, and you know, seeing them pushed to their limits, and you know, seeing seeing them work for it, basically, because we we don't want F1 to come across like it's getting easier for people. We want to we want people to make it seem like it's hard. Hence, why I felt this was a placebo and. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, just before you continue there, what I find interesting about this
0: rule is that it, it seems to be one born out of perception. And absolutely, was there no way F one could have changed it? Because if you think about it, this rule doesn't exist in any other sport. And we hear week in, week out in you know IndyCar and in NASCAR. I mean, hell, WEC. Uh, that's endurance racing. That's kind of what it's all about. About strategy, making sure you hit uh you know certain laps in terms of fuel and and tires and driver stints you know times for driver stints and uh and things like that and we see in nascar indycar there are fuel mileage races where guys are being coached say oh you've got about 10 laps left you need to save fuel need to save fuel need to back off no one gets their knickers in a twist proverbially speaking about guys not going fast enough like oh they're not pushing 110 because they're trying to save fuel but In NASCAR, that's a good. It's like, oh my god, he's actually trying to make it on fuel. This is actually really tense, and I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing like, for example, my favourite race and a, a race that I'll actually pitch as one of the greatest motor races of all time is the 2014 Bathurst 1000. And part of what makes the finish of that race so special is knowing that Jamie Winkup's laying the beat down on Chaz Mostert, but you hear the radio messages on the TV broadcast of his engineer telling him, Jamie, you've got to start saving fuel. Jamie, we're not going to make it. Jamie, you've got to start backing off. You're saving fuel. Seriously, we're going to run out with half a lap to go. Start saving fuel. And you just, you hear the intensity start to rash it up like that. And it properly gives you tingles. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. for for Formula One, like, hang on, how does it translate into, oh, that's really boring? I would I, like it must be a perception issue, yeah, and this I, rule I, appears to have just overcomplicated
1: things. It hasn't really fixed it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would put it down to you know seeing the sausage maker for the first time because it, mm-hmm. compared to like NASCAR and IndyCar, the radio has always been open even before it was broadcast on TV. If you had, you only, radio... only had team radio for like
2: ten years in F one.
1: Yeah, you all. If you had a radio scanner, you always had access to IndyCar NASCAR radio, but in F one. Uh, their radio signals have always been encrypted there was no way to know and the the pr has always been they're on the limit going a hundred going 110 percent on the ragged edge mm-hmm. and <laughs> finally yeah, the fom deciding we've who... got a look behind the curtain
0: and we realize oh that's kind of not the case although surely if you were a smart race fan you'd kind of realize they didn't
2: anyway we we pushed we pushed for it and we ended up seeing the fia sausage yes <laughs> yes Simple as that. That's not a visual I want to have. <laughs> no, exactly. And I'll be talking more about that in my Dre Brief later this week. Or Actually, by the time you've listened to this, it's probably already out. But um, it's it's the sausage. It's the way the sausage is made. And the FIA have put themselves in a real corner here. And another reference I used to, if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll know this reference where I called it the Kobayashi Maru, the unwinnable situation, um, where in star trek for instance you know like it was captain kirk who rigged the test so he could actually find a way out but it's either you save a klingon ship and start a war or you don't, and you know your other crewmates will be killed. It's a it's a lose-lose situation. And the FIA was basically in this pickle here. And they had to decide what was the punishment going to be for this rule infringement, which is which has never come up before until now. So there was no precedent to set before this. There was nowhere in the rules that said this if this if this rule is broken, this is the penalty. They chose a 10-second time penalty. <laughs> which is complete dog shit because now. This precedent has been set where now every team in the paddock did not know before this Grand Prix, but now know that if you break this rule, you're getting a 10-second time penalty. Now, you ask any Formula 1 team, or anyone with half a brain cell, quite frankly, at this point, if you tell them to take a 10-second time penalty or a, a problem that could prove terminal, like Rosberg's gearbox, who knows what could have happened if Rosberg was none the wiser and you find out, oh, he's done damage to the gearbox, he's, he's out of the race now, that's, that's cost him, what, 18 points. What would a team choose? They'll take the penalty
1: every single time, without well, question. It, it, it's not guaranteed the next time it'll be 10 seconds, but you know, you know for sure it's at a minimum 10 seconds. It could be, you know, disqualification, be whatever the steward's pleasing, be the maximum, but you yeah. know the minimum is going to be 10 seconds.
2: Yeah. And, you know, unless it's a minor problem, they're going to take the time penalty because that's better than a potential retirement. You know, there's risk assessment and all this and teams are not going to take a risk on something like that. So now this precedent's been set, teams are going to violate this rule more often. I mean, I mean, how, there's a there's a very good chance that, for example, in Baku, if ha- if they told Hamilton how to fix his engine, no independently was going to be 10 seconds, they'd have taken it because they lost bucket loads of time. Because of Hamilton's engine engine mode problems in that race in Baku. So, it's an awful, awful rule. And I think you've got to scrap it now. Because teams are going to abuse this rule to the hilt from here on in. If this continues. And it's an awful rule. I want it scrapped immediately. It was, never a, it was never a worthwhile rule to begin with. It was a placebo effect to keep the fans happy. And now we've seen the sausage maker. And I think it's time that we move on from it. But, uh... That's the long on the short of the British Grand Prix. And uh, let's talk about something brighter and more positive, IndyCar.
1: And um, King, you were not at home watching this Grand Prix, were you? No, I I watched it with our good friends Sarah Connor and Elizabeth Worth and it was a fun time at a bar watching the race. (laughs) Can I just say... Yeah, go on, Johnson.
0: Before you go on, King, I hope you're fully aware that as we speak there are keyboards being limbered up around the world to commence the first batch of Motorsport 101 fan fiction. Oh, dear
1: God. <laughs> oh, dear
0: God. What you are now responsible for is in 12 to 18 months, there is going to be fan fiction on the internet of me and Dre. And I apologize. What? I, I <laughs> live the world
2: Where did world? This, this come from? Starts, right? This is how it starts, This is how it starts. Like, trust, trust me. Like, okay, once you see King in a selfie with heart-shaped glasses, you know it's real,
1: okay? <laughs> That is, thank God. I haven't seen this. No, it doesn't exist. It doesn't ex- exist. He just made that up. <laughs> he says, what's
0: well, hastily deleting it <laughs> off his phone."
2: <laughs> you don't need.
0: To. Oh goodness! The rumours
2: are flying already. Yeah, the fan fictions are just being written, but, waiting to be written. Go on, King. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, send you deeper into a hole here, King. But uh, how, how was your night? <laughs> oh, it was fun. It was, it was fun. <laughs> tell, tell us more. What, what? 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 I heard, I heard it took place during the Euro
1: 2016 final as well, oh, didn't it? Oh, yeah, we saw the, the the extra time from that, and that was intense. The, the bar lit up like fireworks when Portugal scored the winning goal.
2: <laughs> yep, exactly, and uh, sod Portugal for that. But, uh, yep, he was there for the entire Grand Prix. Shout-out to them, shout-out to, Liz- to Lizzie and Sarah as always. But uh, what he witnessed as well as us was... Uh... The, uh, the biggest motorsport in beat-em-downs I've seen <laughs> since I started watching IndyCar at the beginning of 2015. I mean, I've been an IndyCar fan now for a season and a half, and I have not seen a performance as majestic as this. I mean, Johnson, at one point, he had nearly the entire field lapped. I, th- th- this this was an unbelievable performance from Joseph Newgarden to win the Iowa Corn 300. And like, as I said, back at the Road America review,
0: I've seen a broken clavicle stroke collarbone injury close up. My father had uh, bust his collarbone one time when he was playing rugby and he could barely do his job, which is of a sign writer. He could barely write, even if it was on his, it wasn't his writing hand arm that was damaged, but it still massively affected doing his job and it was agonizingly painful. He couldn't, could barely sleep on it. It was, it was just horrendous. And you take that into account, like you take that into account and add this to a performance at Road America and then this, which would have been dazzling for a driver fully fit. Mm-hmm. And you literally run out of words straight away. I mean, what was quite funny about this race in a way was some people going, oh, well, the race is kind of boring. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I know we like our entertainment. We, we kind of want to be spoilt for entertainment. We're almost a bit like Julius Caesar in the Colosseum yeah. with the thumbs up, the thumbs down. But I'm sorry, there are times we have to go, you know what? I'm cool with this not being the best pure entertainment spectacle, drama, blah, 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 game seven moments ever. Let's just sit back and marvel. Yeah, like, this is just an exhibition of
1: fucking awesome driving like, here. Seriously. Austria and Manhattan admitted that, yeah, this is a bit boring, but oh my God, Newgarden is destroying the Penskys." <laughs> <laughs> there's exactly all, there's
2: always pleasure in a Penske being destroyed there always is I mean we saw Montoya struggle and have an engine misfire I mean that was glorious <laughs> but um yeah I mean at one point New Garden, until the first caution had a 13 second lead on championship leader Simon Pagano. he had lapped Everybody else in the field, it's a shame that hard work was wiped out by the first caution, but every time there was a restart, Newgarden would just rack up the same lead over and over again. There was literally no answer for him. Like They, they, they tried the aggressive lines on the restarts, couldn't happen, and once Newgarden got two laps to get his feet in, he was gone. It was simple as that. I mean, Pagano tried it, Power tried it, Dixon, who we thought might steal it late on because he's Scott Dixon, for God's sake. <laughs> even, he, he, even he couldn't do it. And Newgarden ended up winning the race by about eight seconds from, from Will Power in second in the end. And it was a completely dominant performance from start to finish. He led 282 out of 300 laps which is a new verizon indycar series record that has never been done before That's, that works out at about 98 percent of the race
0: like, that let's give this in context uh, in terms of dominant performances this year the only one that i think can come close is martin truex jr at the coca-cola 600 yeah. where he led something like 380 of 400 laps i mean yeah mm-hmm. th- miles based twice as long but martin Trix jr was fully healthy and the average speed for Indy cars is faster than stock cars i'm sorry i think new Garden wins this one this is
2: on a 70
0: on a 70 second happen. lap short oval as well exactly yeah with the intensity is crazy we had guys nearly wrecking into lap cars this was it was claustrophobic it was basically an Indy car short track race and there aren't words that sort of concentration that sort of focus you've got to give props to his team as well to keep the car that good it had to adjust to keep up with the track the thing just wasn't it, it wasn't like he started well and then faded and other guys caught up to him he stayed that level
2: of dominant and fast throughout the entire thing yeah. it's a miracle an unbelievable performance again like, as we mentioned with a broken clavicle the plate is still in his shoulder as we speak it's 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 the best IndyCar performance I've seen since I started watching the series and it, it was so good that even the F1 guy was appearing in like wow New Garden did that <laughs> um, Yeah, it, 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 it was unbelievable I mean one other thing I want to draw on as well for a minute here is that uh, guys like Paul Tracy on, on, on the commentary call was talking a lot about how Newgarden could be like the hot free agent going into next season. I mean, he signed a two-year deal with, with Ed Carpenter Racing at the end of last season, which was a bit of a surprise because I think many of us thought he might be heading to Ganassi. King, if if another big team comes knocking, will he be able to resist for a second year running?
1: Yeah, it, I, I think it's going to also be an issue of where is there going to be an open seat? I mean, there, there was a lot of talk about Tony
2: Canon's number 10 car at Ganassi. Canan made a guarantee to um, Katie Hargit and the, and the crew there that, that and the TV broadcast on NBC that he will be an IndyCar next year, but he could not guarantee with what team
0: which is interesting I mean he's 41 now so I mean he's still quick as anything but yeah it depends on what Ganassi are doing next up it's easy to forget that, that Kanan
2: is top 6 in the championship right now like Kanan he's, so he's the Kibby Reichlin of IndyCar he will not go the away old guy <laughs> that people would, yeah the, the
0: older guy that people would rather moved on to give a hot young free agent a seat there but he's just still being really good ergo they're keeping him
2: yep um, Robin Miller I think also asked Dixon about it after, after the race on the podium he asked him about it and he said well you never know you never know Dixon Dixon kind of played it down as well, um, but let's be real here. If I think if you're anybody, if you, I think if you're anyone but Pensky, you've got to be keeping tabs on New Gardens' contract stats because the kid is an absolute yeah. stud right now. And well, I have to, I have to
0: feel like I think Ganassi is is gonna have to be keeping close tabs on it because Penske has such a strong lineup across the board. They got Montoya, Power, Castroneves, and then Pagano was seen as the weak link, has now become the best thing in that stable. So they've got four top five tier drivers like literally this is a team that could on any given Sunday lock out four of the top five absolutely and so Ganassi with their driver lineup it's not quite as strong Dixon of course is Peter Perfect and he's an amazing driver Tony Canans a top six level driver Max Chilton has done pretty well so far in his rookie season but he's still feeling his way in and Charlie Kimball it's not quite on
2: that level. Harsh to say. Good driver Kim, is not quite the there. So Kimball's top ten now. Kimble's tenth. Kimble is tenth overall in the championship right now, ahead of Montoya, ahead of Hinchcliffe, and ahead of Ryan hunter Ray Like we, we we mock him a lot, but Kimball is now like statistically above average. It's really kind of annoying now. <laughs> yeah. So he, to be fair, he is
0: stepping out now, and it's like, well, who do you get rid of in that space to allow Newgarden in? Uh, you know, does he go to Andretti maybe? Uh, alongside, you know, Hunter Ray and those guys. That's yeah, like, I, I feel like Andretti probably would have more room. King, do you th-
1: what do you think on this? Do you think Andretti would probably have more room I, to accommodate I, him over there? I heard there was murmurs that Andretti was hoping for a fifth car because, like, technically, like, in theory, Andretti's a three-car team with an extremely close partnership with uh, Brian Herta running a fourth yes. car. And there was murmurs that they could be running a fifth car soon. And, but it's been more leaned over towards maybe Robin, Robin Frein's moving over from Formula E to IndyCar, but maybe they could go for Newgarden.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, their lineup at the moment is Munoz. Who's very, who's very, very strong, very talented. He's, he's bubbling under. He's just waiting for that sort of breakout moment. Marco Andretti andretti autosport probably aren't going to drop him i mean that would just be rude let's be real (laughs) and ryan hunter ray who's still very strong he was champion as as recently as 2013 and he's still great quality and of course alexander rossi in the sister 98 car the indy 500 champ they ain't dropping him anytime soon he's 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 really growing into indy car right now he is exactly so you know be it frines or um new garden where do they go it's a little bit like the F1 scenario. Are there any seats at the top table right now?
2: And honestly, stuff Esteban Gutierrez. I would pay good money to see Newgarden in a Haas F1 car right freaking now. Oh, yes. Because I think oh,
0: I, didn't I call that last year on Downforce USA? You did. You yeah. did.
2: I, I was going. I mentioned it on Twitter last night, and I mentioned it here. It was you that called it on Downforce USA over a year ago that Newgarden might be a guy to look out for for that seat. And like, King is he the best American
1: open wheeler on the planet right now? Ooh, that's difficult. I mm, on a road course. I he is great on road courses, but I don't know. I really like it's either him or Rossi, to be honest.
2: And and, and to be fair, King, it's like this was his first oval win as well. I mean, he was very strong on the ovals last year too. He's like he doesn't really have a hole in his game anymore. No. <laughs> like yeah, he was second last year at Iowa, second at Pocono, fifth at
0: Milwaukee. Uh, ninth in the Indy 500, I was solid he, on the oval.
2: Remember, well. he led a ton of laps at Milwaukee as well that year. He he was the guy he to did. beat that day. I mean, he got he got nailed by a caution. So
1: it yeah. was one of those... like like Joseph was a part of that you know, uh, European crowd of Americans racing. Like he did a season in G, in GP3. He didn't do as spectacular as everyone hoped he would do, but he came over to the states race for sam smith then you know sarah fisher and now ed carpenter and like that that is definitely a crowd you want to be with if you want to learn how to you know be good on ovals yep
2: and yep so yeah the 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 star power of joseph newgarden continues and uh i mean ed
0: carpenter is a seriously good oval driver so what a great mentor to have over there and i'm looking at these results you know he finished seventh in points last year he's fourth at the moment is there an argument to say he doesn't need to move from this team to be a championship contender?
1: Maybe Ooh, not. I mean... He was, he was eligible to win it on the final round last year. I mean, <laughs> that's the same question we asked about Graham Rahal being at Rahal Letterman Lanigan last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like... like, like oh, my god! You got adopt adopted him the Rahal role.
0: <laughs> yeah, he has. He has. Rahal's not been able to quite back up his form from last year just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, although he's only 8th in points. I mean, literally, they have swapped. Last year, Newgarden was 7th in points. Rahal was 4th. Currently, Newgarden's 4th in points. Rahal's 8th.
2: Yeah, that's one of those things. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the star power of Joseph Newgarden continues to rise. A magnificent performance. He took the win by just over 4 seconds in the end, only because he was slowing down on the last lap, really. But uh, he let- And also, um,
0: sorry, just before we finish this, we haven't even mentioned how old Newgarden is. <laughs> 25. Yeah. 25. He's twenty friggin five, he's easily the youngest of all the top drivers in IndyCar right now.
2: Yeah, I said, it, I said it at the start of the season, if I was building an IndyCar team of five, I'd have a new guard in it right now and I wouldn't even hesitate. Like, like, like for ability-age ratio, that's ridiculous.
1: <sighs> like, the, the only people that are younger than him are, you know, the pair at Andretti, Rossi and Munoz, they're tw- but they're only like 24, so that's only like a year younger. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Right, quick rundown of the
2: result. Joseph Newgarden winning by just over 4.3 seconds from Willpower. Reminder Newgarden led 282 laps, um, <laughs> which is just ridiculous to even say again, quite frankly. Um, Willpower in second. Shout out to him because he was fantastic the last 10 laps, putting off two. Mega passes on Simon Pagenaud and Scott Dixon to go to go from fourth to second um, in the last ten laps. Even like even like like Power is not the, normally the happiest man in the world, but even he seemed very amped at, at the result at the end of the Grand Prix. Power seemed to be you know, smiley, very happy about that result and no wonder, I'll talk about that in the championship standards in just a minute, but uh, Power was, was, was superb there, second place for him Scott Dixon, he's quiet but he's always there, Scott Dixon in third um, great comeback from him off the road America engine failure, championship leader Simon Pagano in fourth, a quiet day from him, but uh, another very solid result for him in his ridiculous season continuing, Michaela Lotion top Honda, great drive from Michaela Lotion, um, the Russian from Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport in fifth place the last man on the racing lap, great Great job of him as top Honda. Ahead of the man that will not go away. Alexander Rossi in sixth place. A tremendous result for him as well in the for the Andretti Herta car as well. He led four laps of the Grand Prix going on as well. Ahead of oh Tony Kanaan, who King was not best pleased with, with, with said with said Alexander Rossi
1: during that race. No, not pleased at all. Like, I remember seeing on Twitter the, him going up to confront Alex Rossi after the race. I think, and... I think, it, was,
2: I think it was Tony Dezina that posted a hilarious picture yes. of, of Kanaan mouth wide open and a very flummoxed Alexander Rossi and it just told you more than you ever needed to know right there and then <laughs> yeah it was
1: not looking good for the guy
2: <laughs> and no they were I mean
0: let's be honest you don't want to have Vin Diesel walk up to you in the garage area and start threatening you really do you no <laughs>
2: let's be real He's short and he's angry. He's, he's, like I said on Twitter, Like, like Kanan's going to mess him up. He's, he's, like a, he's like a terrier. He's, he's going to be short and he's going to be really angry. He's going to mess you up.
0: <laughs> you he is. He's what Vin he Diesel. He's a guy who goes off and does films where he beats up The Rock. Like, seriously,
2: you're not going to deal with this guy. <laughs> no, Kanan was right. But like, 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 King, can you say some of the words that Sarah Connors was saying as, as this was taking place? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>
0: Well we are post watershed, so you know. We've always been post watershed to be fair. <laughs> probably probably for the best to be honest with you. Go on, Except for that bizarre yeah. trying to be PG
1: period from dry. <laughs> yeah, where let's, that failed. for I'll talk about that. <laughs> like she she was mainly mad that Tony Kanan was messing with her son. <laughs> messing up their son. <laughs> messing, messing up messing with her son. I, I, I
2: still find it hard to believe that Sarah's like six years older than him it's like <laughs> don't, don't tell her I said that on the podcast she's going to kill me um, <laughs> the fan fiction just got a whole lot weirder <clears throat> <clears throat> um, but uh, yeah we'll move on from that swiftly but yeah uh, on in seventh head of Sebastian Borde great job from James Hinchcliffe from the back up into ninth place um, for him ahead of Charlie not so average Kimball who by the way had one of the best episodes of the Mayor on air I've had since I started listening to the show Kimball is like the ninth nicest man in the world it's really annoying <laughs> like he's such a cool guy it, it's like ugh but does that has a British round the British fans will boo him <laughs> who knows? But yeah, Kimball in tenth. Ahead of Takuma Sato, Carlos Munoz. Poor Helio Castro Neves, he was running right up the front, but was screwed by a late caution, put him down in thirteenth place ahead of Marco Andretti, who somehow is still here. Um, head of Stateless Jax Hawksworth Graham Rahal, who was struggling with massive vibrations the entire way through the race. Apparently, finished three laps down in sixteenth place ahead of Gabby Chavez, Ed Carpenter, who had a mechanical problem in the in the in the early goings of the race. lost about 15 laps. Max Chilton, who spun out towards the end after getting a bit loose, uh, ahead of Montoya in 20, who had an engine misfire with about 120 laps to go, ahead of Connor Daly. Now, poor Connor. (laughs) Apparently, Johnson, we had another case of the Dale Coin handling problems. (laughs) Yeah, this is... uh...
0: This, uh, I, I read somewhere, I think it may have afflicted uh, Carlos Huertas in 2014. I remember 2015 last year, Pippa Mann suffered from this as well. I remember speaking to her soon after. It was it was literally a case of, I don't even want to talk about it. It was that bad. Like, And Connor Daly had a very similar thing. He said, look, it was either that or I was going in the wall. This thing was not happening. So I don't know if, if the coin cars just struggle with the road course aero kits on the shorter ovals. That appears to be their big problem. They seem to be fine on the bigger ovals. They're definitely all right on the the road courses it's those shorter ovals that run the road course aero kit they just i don't know what's going on over there if this is hiding something deeper over in that camp but obviously Daly not able to put his best foot forward at all and uh, as a consequence we were treated to a very drunk lizzie worth
1: yeah
2: well king was <laughs> how was that for you king
1: um <laughs> It was, <laughs> it was interesting. That reaction to um, <laughs> um... <laughs> Oh dear, God! <laughs> Go on, King.
2: I'm, I'm going to dig you into this hole and I'm taking you
1: with me. <laughs> it, it was hilarious seeing the other side of her shit posting on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> just just with, just, with copious amounts of drinking.
2: So, sounds about right to me, quite frankly. But yeah, Connor Daly was about eight laps down and then they called it a day just under half distance. Um, didn't really see the point in bothering to continue. And uh, poor Ryan Hunter Ray at the bottom of the field who caught fire as one does uh, in the early goings of that one. That caused the first caution, but Hunter Ray's miserable season continues. Um, but looking at the championship standings real quick, Simon Pagino's lead has actually stayed exactly the same amazingly um, he still has a 73 point lead in the championship but the person in second is now joseph newgarden so newgarden is now second through his first win of the season and creeping up on everybody despite missing around willpower is now third on 334 ahead of scott dixon on 321 helio castroneves on 318 Tony Canaan is the pest that will not go away with his angry terrier face on 306. Alexander Rossi still hanging around there in 7th with 286 ahead of Carlos Munoz uh, with 280. Graham Rahul down to ninth on 275. And Charlie Kimball rounding off the top 10 with 275. See, Kimball, slightly above average. Well, that's how you... But uh, that will just about do it for the IndyCar section, and let's talk about some other bits of pieces of news before we wrap up this show before, um, for the um, for the um, time for the time being. Let's talk about Kimi Räikkönen for a minute here, and um, King, he has been re-signed for for another season, and uh, the internet is
1: entirely pissed. Uh, they're pissed. Me. I would say uh, Räikkönen being around for another year is justified He's on Räikkönen's side, because Räikkönen's Raikkonen. performance- King, have you now become the voice of God on F1 transfers? No, someone is echoing and it's not me. <laughs>
2: That's probably, me and my, that's probably me and my weird pop shooter. I apologize for that, listeners. Um, I'm, actually, I'm actually holding it in my hand right now. I'm supposed to just screen it into my table. It's, it's, it's make High quality production values here on Motorsport 101. Course, we're, we're real professionals on this show, but uh, carry on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd say it's deserved on this point. For like up until recently, he was second in the championship. Now he's dropped down to third with, you know, Ross with Hamilton coming back up. But it's... I think a lot of fans are disappointed because they wanted to see someone new at Ferrari.
2: Exactly, I think that's what it boils down to. I think I wish more people. I wish people instead of you know being dishonest and you know trying to talk Perez into this seat, I'd be much better off if they just were just honest enough to admit. Let's just get someone new in the car. And Raikkonen has been kind of been the second fiddle in that team for the last three years now. But like. He's not like he he was. He was terrible in 2014. I'll give him that. But 2015, he was okay. This year, he's been genuinely pretty good. Four podium finishes. You know, he's he's finished a lot. Most of his races in the top five this year. Sure, he's not won a Grand Prix, but he's done above and I think beyond what Ferrari have expected of him for this season. So you know, maybe Räikkönen still has a little bit left in him. So. For me personally, I don't know how you feel about this, Johnson, but I know you're the Perez guy, so you're going to be a little bit miffed, I'm sure, but <laughs> I feel like Raikkonen has done more than enough to warrant a sec- another year in his contract, because I don't think on performance reasons there's any good reason to get rid of him right now. Well, I think, I mean,
0: firstly, I'm also a Nico Hulkenberg guy, so I'm the guy who's very much used to not mm. expecting anything in terms of drivers getting chances at big teams. I mean, seriously, come on. But... um, to be honest with you, I think what's surprising about this announcement is that I think Kimi Raikkonen's re-signing last year was probably less deserved. Yeah, it's kind of strange right. how last year he was very much second fiddle to Vettel. He wasn't getting that many strong results. He didn't seem that kind of fast. although this is Raikkonen. He is so laid back, he's basically horizontal. Um, like, last year, people were going, oh, there's Perez, there's Hülkenberg, there's Grosjean, there's all these great drivers. And they've re-signed Raikkonen. Uh, do they not want to go after the construct? Do they not want to have a decent backup? And like, yeah. based on the form of last year, Raikkonen was kind of off the pace, really. So people were confused about it. This time around, I think people are just purely frustrated because they want to see a young driver up there. But the irony is, this time around, he deserves it more than he did last year. He, It's actually paid off for them. They've given him an extended contract. And he's re- he's racing even better the, better than ever at Ferrari. So he entirely has driven himself into contention for that seat in 2017. Just frustrating for everyone else. I mean, Perez is driving pr- very strongly this year. I'd have to say, it, including the end of last season, he's having one of the best stints of his entire career. Grosjean's in a good spot now over at Haas, the de facto Ferrari B team. I, th- I wonder if Ferrari are just saying, it's fine, we see you young guys over there. You're there, your time will come. But right now, we've got no reason to break up this happy marriage. We've got Vettel, one of the greatest of all time at this this current era. We've got Raikkonen, who's driving better than ever. The two get on really well. There's a great harmony, great vibe in the garage. No reason to split them up just yet and go for an unproven entity. So uh, last year, people were kind of going, really? Uh, But this year, I think, to be honest with you, when you
2: put all the frustration aside, you kind of say, no, fair enough. How much do you want to say, I'm all for Sergio Perez? Why hasn't this happened yet? And be really angry.
0: Well, I mean, I, like, I'm the Perez guy. I'd love to see him at Ferrari, but, like, <laughs> I know how Formula One works, man. I, yeah. and, and at this point in time, I'm almost enjoying Perez. as like, I mean, Perez had that run at McLaren and it, it backfired badly. Like, this is, uh, it's quite funny. Like, for example, I remember being upset when, when Hülkenberg was overlooked for Lotus in 2014 in favour of Pastor Friggin' Maldonado. In the end, it worked out perfectly because Lotus had their worst season. So, Formula One, changed like that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And Formula and Formula One is strange like that. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. hey,
2: you know what? I'm Perez in the Force India for now. That's cool. You know what? All good. Yeah, fine by me as well. Fine by me as well. And a uh, couple, couple more bits of major news. We we we've mentioned Top Gear a fair bit on this podcast as time has gone on, and there's... we've basically continued. Do you remember you used to do like a sort of um, Dre talks review
0: series on the Top Gear episodes? But yeah, unfortunately, it yeah. chose the series where. Clarkson decided to violently assault
2: a member of staff and uh. then that all fell apart. <laughs> Make it- but we've kind of continued that tradition onto the podcast haven't we? Yeah we have and uh, it's always been a spiritual successor and uh, we're talking about Top Gear some more now and the series came to an end at the end of last week. I mean for me I don't know how you guys feel about the series but having watched all six episodes now like I think it was a pretty good season, all said and done. I mean, there was no episode that completely blew me away. Like, if I had my my old review system, I don't think any episode would have been a 9 or a 10 out of 10. But I think there were... I don't think there was an episode that was was flat out bad. I think they were all good to great episodes for the most part. And I feel that, for me, and I think I've said this on, on many social outlets before already, but I feel like Matt LeBlanc... Chris Harris and Rory Reed is the future of Top Gear going forward, and I think, especially in the case of Rory Reed standing out as a breakout star, I feel that you know there is there is a there is a lot of positive to take away from this from this reboot of Top Gear. I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but that's that's the impression I get after watching this series. I think,
0: to be honest with you, the the big problem started with the fact that probably the weakest episode of the entire series was the first one, absolutely. which was the one they absolutely had to blow out of the park. Mm. There were two big problems here. Well, uh, you know, th- three big problems. Number one, as I just said, the poor first episode. Number two, the fact that this was the David Moyes era of Top Gear. This was <laughs> yeah. the show that was it, this was the series that was never, ever going to have a hope in hell of standing out as the one being immediately after the greatest era in Top Gear history had come to an end in such bitter circumstances. And especially with the fact that the, the the shadow still looms, the Grand Tour still hasn't broadcast a single episode, and yet an entire series of Top Gear has come and gone, and they've already gone through a new replacement host. They've, they're looking for another one or may not have one at all. So that was always going to be a problem. I mean, I, I kind of said going into it, it looked like it had the potential to be a pretty decent car show the problem is it's called top gear so the expectation was just going to be off the charts i mean i said this last time out um, with old old new top gear um, they had they had time to experiment with the format you had you know james may wasn't even in the very first series that a guy the, the guy whose name i can't even remember jason he was that Dore, much of a jason door there you go yeah the uh, i've got some great used car bargains excellent anyway um so may turned up for the second series so they kind of had room to experiment they had a good three or four series where they were really finding their feet working out which features worked which didn't quickly working out consumer advice stuff was boring and people wanted to see stuff blow up caravans get destroyed and then race across europe in cheap old cars and supercars and everything, and and they kind of started to hit a home run around Series 5, and they were kind of on from there. But this new Top Gear was never going to have that. They had to hit the ground running. Week first episode, and Chris Evans not gelling as a natural host kind of crippled it, to be honest with you. And as you've said, there was a lot to like in the new series. I mean, someone... Uh, took out of the episode and put as a separate clip online. Chris Harris's review of the NSX from the from the last episode Shout of out the latest to 50 series. fifty bucks
2: on Twitter. One of the real good guys on Twitter. One of the nicest guys you can talk to. He'll record almost anything if you ask him nicely. And he he absolutely does a tremendous job of getting these skips. He's also one of the nicest guys you can talk to on Twitter as well. So shout out to Kai if you're listening to us. You're a tremendous dude. Um, But yeah, carry on, Johnson. I had to get that one in real quick.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely agree. Um, He he cut the segment out with Chris Harris reviewing the new NSX. Now, I love the new Honda NSX anyway, so I was excited to see this. Mm. And, you know, Harris, we all know. Literally, Harris was the one we were all excited about going into this. This was the one when the entire, the massive, I think the bloated lineup of hosts was a very bad idea, but to be honest with you, I kind of got the sense that they were throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what stuck. They were like, well, let's go with the people that they kind of know from old Top Gear, like Savina Schmitz, the people they kind of know from F1 with Eddie Jordan, uh, Chris Evans, he likes cars, he's loud and stuff, and he'll be good. Matt LeBlanc, people know him from friends, hey, he's cool. Uh, Chris Harris, he's an actual car guy, and he's really good at what he does, So, but people don't really know him outside of that, maybe, even though... Uh, his reviews of like the the triple test of the la Ferrari, mclaren p1 and the porsche 918 have got nearly two million hits on youtube so um and then let's go with roy reed who's the who's the talent that let's be honest we didn't really know a hell of a lot we were making jokes about him when it, he was announced Random coming in and yet he, exactly he's been the absolute find of this series he's been he's kind of come out of nowhere in the same way that let's be honest james may and richard hammond kind of came out of nowhere originally when Top Gear started, they were the ones that were kind of the unknowns. Clarkson was the one coming in with the big you know, with the previous record. Um but they've they've kind of hit it out of the park. But to be honest with you, as I say, this series was always kind of doomed from the start. It had some good bits. It was very inconsistent though. And I think having such a weak first episode kind of ruined it to me. And Evans I think was a big, big problem because it wasn't like a case of oh I can sit through his segments just so I can hopefully get to see some Roy Reed and Chris Harris. Having them on extra gear to start off was a big mistake. And I think they must have learned very quickly that people are like, oh no, wait a minute. People are liking the guys that we're sticking on the bonus show on what, BBC three or something. So they quickly had to try and adjust things as they go and try to give them a bit more screen time, which was very well done. I think LeBlanc was very good, you know, very chilled out. He was, he fitted naturally, but to be honest with you, I mean, there's a, a potential sexual assault case lingering over Chris Evans as well, as far as I know. Um, so, I mean, King, I don't know if you kind of felt the same way on this one, but it felt to me like uh, Evans was kind of too much of a negative and there was just, like, uh, like for all the good that like Harrison and Reed and LeBlanc was doing, it was just like, at times Evans's delivery was so ear-scrapingly annoying and intense that it just drove people away. It was like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I can't take this. And it was enough to drive people away. And it, it, it didn't matter how good Roy Reed and Chris Harris were. It was... The, the card was already marked.
1: Yeah, like... Basically, with with Evans being the face of the show, there's there was no way around it. Like, you couldn't focus on Harrison Reed because... Like any any way to get to them it would be through Chris Evans. Any introduction to any of their segments, anything it would be through Chris Evans and it wouldn't work anymore. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So it it To me like Dre, i i feel like you're on the same page as this one i think i think new new top gear does have potential as a decent entertaining car show but we've talked about this before a leblanc harris reed trio hosting it you can get rid of the others not that they were particularly bad although i think eddie jordan sitting randomly on a train was about his contribution for the entire series so it was just enough to put him on the poster it's a bit like when they put like a major actor on a film poster and then he gets killed in the opening credits just doesn't make any sense so uh, yeah. I, I feel like Evans' card was marked. Yeah. Like, he needed this series, like, the final episodes
2: to smash it out of the park. But from minute one, it was kind of doomed. It was kind of doomed. I mean, Eddie Jordan was like Jada Pinkett in Scary Movie 2. He didn't even make the opening credits, <laughs> uh, quite frankly, It was an ideal. And, you know, this was Evans' baby from the start, really. He was given essentially creative control. And this was meant to be his magnum opus. And, you know, it's. It, it did not turn out that way. I think Evans came across a little bit too overbearing. I think he came across as a guy that tried a little bit too hard and that he had to be the centre of attention because he felt like it was his show. And I felt like with as much as Top Gear's most important piece was Clarkson by a mile, it never felt like it was Clarkson's show. No, like, it, was always, Hammond, it was always all three yeah. of them. It was, it was the three exactly. as a collective. It was the three as a collective. James May and Richard Hammond were tremendous in their own right. And this felt like the chris evans penis extension it really did and <laughs> it, it it had like like any guy waving his penis around all the time like nobody wants to see it and it just ruins everything and okay ruins maybe is maybe a harsh term i, was, I mean like even the little things like Evan's wearing the same clothes on every episode got annoying. His voice was annoying. He was trying way too hard. His interview technique was terrible across the show. The interviews were shit for the most part of this he series. Like,
0: he was basically shouting at you and it was just like, no, shut up. You don't need to do know, this. Just relax. Yeah, and
2: And, and it, it, there's no getting around it. The show lost 66% of its audience in the space of six weeks. The, the last episode did 1.9 million viewers, and I know it was competing against the France Iceland game on ITV during Euro 2016 in in, in the quarterfinals. But as we made the point
0: last week, that was still the lowest ever rating for an episode of Top Gear.
2: That's, 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 that's unacceptable. Like Top Gear did 4.3 against the World Cup final in 2010. So that, that that doesn't quite that excuse doesn't quite wash. And people have clearly made a conscious decision to you know. Give, they gave it a chance. A lot of people did give it to us. The, the, the opening show we did 6 million viewers. Yeah. So people were willing to give this a go. They were curious. They wanted to see how it turned out. And 4 million people said, you know what? I'm not coming back for this by the time week 6 came around. And again, it, we've said it before. Like I think Evans bore the grunt of it. He was the face of the failure. And Evans... I think, had to step down and not just so much of this supposed backdated potential child abuse scandal that's come through, uh, sex abuse scandal that's come through in the last week or so from pages like Jalopnik and The Telegraph reporting this as well that Evans may have, you know, sexually abused someone in the 90s when he was hosting TFI Friday. But um, how much that relates to him quitting, we don't know. Uh, we can only speculate on that, but Evans at the forefront had to go. Apparently, the BBC's not going to replace him, um, which is interesting, but even though they've released ads or adverts saying that, you know, he may do. But, um... It's, it's it's a shame, and uh, I, I don't I don't like seeing any guy lose his job. I don't take pleasure in that most of the time. In brackets. Um I don't like seeing a guy lose his job, and I think Evans did genuinely want the show to be a success, and I I, I have no question that. But sometimes you got to hold your hands up and say when it isn't working, and I'm I'm glad he stepped down because I, I did not want to see him again on the show. I felt like, you know, he was he was dragging the quality of the show down. I am, um, like I said before, I'm all for a LeBlanc, Harris, and Reed big three. I don't mind if they use Eddie Jordan and Sabine Schmitz every once in a while as as additional roles. I think Harris can do those long form films about you know challenges and whatnot. And I don't see any reason why he couldn't be able to do that um, alongside Rory Reed, who again has got more charisma than anyone else on the show bar none. Um, so why not? And I feel like the health of Top Gear. Is is damaged, but I think they can salvage. I, mean, I think it's worth trying at least one more series to see whether a changed lineup can have an impact. And I know there's there's still people taking bets on on the host for the new series. I know J- the chef James Martin, I think is bookies' favourite. I've seen Dermot O'Leary's name thrown thrown around because of the, he because of him hosting the Getaway car on BBC One with the Top Gear affiliation. With that, I've seen Philip Glenister's name thrown around a little bit still as well from Life on Mars and you know who knows where that, who knows, but um, I think I think it's worth at least one more go. And when's the Grand Tour starting? <laughs> um, I need to know, Amazon. Please tell me straight away so I can you know totally legally watch your shit. <laughs> um, but um, before we wrap up the show, um, a, a sad a sad bit of st- a sad story came through on Saturday regarding the world of motorsport: the passing. Of a, of a true legend of the sport, and that's Carl uh, Haas. And I know, King, you wanted to talk about this. So
1: the floor is yours, my my friend. Yeah, like, uh, admittedly, me and Connors had a moment where we kind of noticed. We kind of noticed among ourselves that there's a whole bunch of new F1 fans moving over the IndyCar. And when I read when I read the news, like the first thing in the comments section was like, "Oh, he'll never see how great his F1 team was." And uh. it it was. Crineworthy that a whole bunch of people don't know who Carl Haas even was. That mm-hmm. Carl Haas was, you know, one of those iconic team principals. And his team, Newman Haas, was one of the most formidable. I think Roger Penske called him his fiercest competitor. And for the longest time, it was, well, it was Penske and Newman Haas. And I think they had 107 wins total in, in their run. From the '80s up until 2011, and they have won eight drivers' championships. They won in in '84 with Mario Andretti, '91 with Michael, '93 uh, with Nigel Mansell, 2002 with Cristiano D'Amato, and of course, the reason why I remember them best: the four Champ Car titles he won with Sebastian Bourdais. Awesome. And this team is this team was literally it was an in IndyCar, car. It was literally at, you know the big two, Penske and and Newman Haas up until '96, and uh, you know the the Thunderbolt Ganassi's with with them winning the championship that year with Jimmy Vassar and then rookie Alex Zanardi. Mm-hmm. And probably they they didn't handle the move in the, the merger in 2008 well. With 20, uh, they they had uh, the second best rookie in. The, 2007 season with Graham Rahal finishing fifth in the championship and Bourdais winning the championship but, you know, Bourdais moved on to F1. They re-signed one of their former drivers, Bruno. No, they they re they for Bourdais, they got Justin Wilson mm. and Wilson and Graham, they were able to get the two final wins of Newman-Haas but it was downhill from there. Uh, the last season was 2011 and they Signed rookie James Hinchcliffe, but the team didn't have the sponsorship to, you know, buy a DW12. Ugh. Sad for for, for a, such a, a legendary, a
2: legendary mark to go down like that, but um. Very much so, a very, a very, very important figure um, in you know North America and just motorsport in general. Um, so rest in peace, Carl Haas, Um On behalf of all three of us, our thoughts go out to uh, to Jean and the family. Um, and uh, yeah, a very, very. Well, Jean prim- and Haas are not related in any way. I should just uh, say that now.
1: Yeah.
2: Whoopsie! Uh, I thought they always thought they were. That's my like that's, that's, that's my bad. That's my bad. <laughs> that, that's one for the blooper reel he again. Paul oh, uh, Haas did run, uh, run
0: his own Formula 1. He did have the original Haas Formula 1 team, funnily enough. Yes, that's yes. where the release comes from,
2: back in 1985. Thanks, Johnson, for covering up my failure. I appreciate that. Let I, 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 when it, when it take one for the team, my friend. I, I do really appreciate that. <laughs> but... Um, just before we go a couple of shout outs first of all shout out to jack webb who's our new patreon backer so shout out to you sir thank you very much you're very kind of us on twitter he said and i quote all it took was one 40 minute conversation with us to, 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 to prove to us that you need to give us some money which is the best <laughs> conversation i've ever heard in my life so so thanks a lot jack much appreciated also a massive thanks to debbie is for showing off the very first Motorsport 101 t-shirt that that, we, that that is out there. You can see it on my Instagram page at Harrison101. You can check that out. So thanks a lot, Debbie. You're an absolute superstar. Many, many thanks for that. Um, those guys who are $10 Patreon backers at the end of the month, I will sort you out a shirt as well. So Andrew and I think Jake Callahan, if you're listening, I'll, I'll get in touch with you in the next couple of weeks or so. That is a promise on my end. So thanks to you guys for that. Now, this is not the only episode you're gonna be getting this week. We on, on on Sunday afternoon we announced the first Motorsport 101 International Fantasy Draft. So Five general managers, me, Adam Johnson, Ryan King, Matthias Canario from Mystery Science Filler F1 and Chris Cook from Cook Productions 1. We sat down in a room, we got pieces of paper and pens and we put every racing driver out there into one giant pot and we took five teams of eight super teams full of some of the best racing talents in the world and Valtteri Bottas. <laughs> and <that's- laughs> <laughs> and as it turns out <laughs> we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun with it and um we can't wait to show off the results by the time you're listening to this episode we you've probably already seen the preview video on our youtube channel at youtube.com forward slash 101 and if you haven't get over there already and subscribe um so we'll, we'll, we'll talk all about the rules on that video over there um the actual draft itself If by the time you're listening to this, it would most likely have already gone live on early access, but it will be public next Monday. So that's July the 18th. um, You will see or you will have the chance to listen to the entire draft in full. It's about a minute. It's about an hour, 15 minutes long. Um, so, yeah, you're getting two episodes for the price of one this week. And by the time that episode goes public on July 18th, you'll have the chance to vote on our teams. I think my team was blatantly the best. That, that's that's a disclaimer right now. There's there, there's no arguments here. Sit down, <laughs> seriously, come on. Seriously, <laughs> you, you, look, I'm sorry. I'm competing against a crazy cook, King's team of, <laughs> and you breaking your own transatlantic policies to take. <laughs> how dare you? Spoilers. <laughs> come on. Come on. That, that's that's a minor spoiler. It wasn't even that big a pick. <laughs> Damn you. But let's not give away the fact
0: that I was the monk that went Marianto.
2: I like that nobody even believed that. Like, if you're listening to this episode <laughs> right now, there's no way anybody in hell actually believes what you just said. <laughs> Not in a thousand years. But um, like I said, the draft episode will go live on well, no, Monday. Definitely the no one will pick the, <laughs> believe that you picked the- <clears throat> deafening silence. Crickets could be heard amongst that discussion. <laughs> so you'll see. Also, you'll see on YouTube early what happened in the first two rounds when the champions were not eligible. It's a very interesting top ten, and a couple of real shock picks in there. I think you'll be very impressed by, especially from Matt. But that's all I'll say regarding that. The first two rounds will be on YouTube next week but uh, bear in mind, to find that what happened when the Champions became available, you've got to listen to the full show. So if you're very loyal to us, then you wouldn't have a problem at all now, will you? But that will just about do it for most of the 101 this week. Massive thanks as always to, to, to Chris as well, Matt, for showing up, and of course, Adam and, and uh, Ryan for coming here as well. We're getting very close to 50 episodes. We've got something special to announce for that next week as well. So until then, I've been Andre Harrison, he's been Ryan King, and, and Adam Johnson. You can follow us at harrison One hd at that's AJ underscore bombersports and at Ryan Eric King. Until next time, thanks for listening. Fire yeah! Gassi!
1: You are the world champion!